Welcome back, Swamp Folk. I have a fascinating mystery to share today. I promise you, you will love it. This one occurred in the Dyset Susan National Park, established in December 1934 in the mountainous center of Japan's northern Hokkaido. It's the largest national park in Japan. Its name translates to the Great Snowy Mountains. Before we dive into our actual topic, I want to share an exciting piece of information I discovered in my research. According to a local article, the people of Hokkaido have long revered the Daiset Susan Mountains as a sacred place. In their native language, it's called Natap Kamui Sur, which means the mountains towering over the great wetlands. But due to its diverse wildlife and breathtaking views, it is also known by the more affectionate name of God's Playground. A stretch of the park extends across the outer limit of a town called B.A., which is well known for its famous rolling hills. These were created many millions of years ago when the mountains violently erupted, leaving behind volcanic deposits that cooled to form their current scenery. Some of these peaks are still active volcanoes today, such as the one we'll discuss in this episode, Mount Asahidaki, which stands just over 7,500 feet tall, making it the tallest of all 16 peaks. It's located at the park's northern end and features a beautiful hiking trail that is arguably one of the most popular tourist attractions in Daiset Susan. People travel from all over the world to make this trek, and it's easy to see why. Along the way, landmarks are used as guides. When hikers pass one, it offers reassurance that they are heading in the right direction. The most important of these landmarks is a large boulder named Safe Rock. Its name comes from its resemblance to a safe or a vault, but this landmark has a deadly twin. In the same area sits a second, nearly identical boulder dubbed as False Safe Rock. If someone mistakes it for the real landmark, they will find themselves on a seemingly correct path until realizing they're moving downhill into a swampy valley overgrown with tall, thick bamboo. Once inside, everything is so dense that it becomes difficult to see, and not everyone finds their way back out. The story we're covering today involves multiple lost hikers and a mysterious SOS signal. Everyone knows about SOS signals, right? Just in case you do not, it's a universal code for help. No matter where you are in the world, you can communicate that you're in distress with three simple letters. It may sound pretty straightforward, and usually it is, but I promise this time is a bit different. Just settle in and get ready for a lot of twists and turns. To fully appreciate the mystery of the SOS incident, we'll need to begin our story in 1989. Two hikers went missing on Mount Asahidake, assuming they followed the wrong trail from False Safe Rock. A police helicopter led the search for the missing men on July 24th. There was no trace of the hikers until just before nightfall when rescuers suddenly spotted a strange SOS sign. Astonishingly, it was made from 19 birch trees that were cut and stacked together, each just over 16 feet long and just under 10 feet wide. They were also placed in a clearing far from the nearest birch trees. Can you imagine what it would take to put something like this together? Seriously, just think about it for just a rational second. It's a relatively important part of the case that will ultimately play a significant role in determining which side you choose. According to online sources and Wikipedia, the searchers quickly turned back to land, and while there, there was still no sign of the missing hikers. At first, though hungry and dehydrated, they had no severe injuries and were none the worse for wear, especially considering their circumstances. 
They were given food and water on the way to the hospital where they could fully recover. When officers later praised them for making such a clever SOS sign, without which they indeed would not have been found, the hikers had no clue what they were actually talking about. This was completely unexpected. If they had not made the sign, then that begs the obvious question, who the heck did? I want to note here that some accounts vary as to whether or not this conversation happened in the helicopter or while the two men recovered in the hospital. The details are a little bit lost in translation, so I do apologize. Regardless, it was quickly confirmed that the rescued hikers had not, in fact, made the SOS sign. They weren't even aware that it had existed. Then came the chilling realization that if these two hikers had not made the sign, someone else clearly had. Someone who was still down there, potentially needing help. Before we move on to the next search, can we take a moment to appreciate what an insane stroke of luck this was for our two missing hikers who did make it out alive though. Without even knowing the sign was there, they just happened to be close enough to reach the investigating rescuers. And had anything gone differently that day, it's possible the sign wouldn't have been discovered at all. Don't forget, they only found it just before nightfall. Given the late hour, the search party could not return until the following morning, but it was back in full force at daybreak. Kenji Iwamura The SOS sign was located two and a half miles away from the peak of Asahidake, and an extensive search of the area was conducted. It wasn't long before a gruesome discovery was made as the authorities began collecting bones scattered around the sign. They were old, broken, and bore traces of animal bites, some of which may have occurred while the victim was even still living. Then, in a separate area, but still within a few hundred feet of the sign, police discovered a hole just large enough to fit a single person inside. It contained an unusual assortment of items, such as amulets, a human skull, a tripod, two cameras, a notebook, and a pair of men's basketball shoes. But the most important discoveries were concealed within a backpack. They were a tape recorder with four cassettes and a driver's license belonging to Kenji, a 25-year-old office worker from Aichi Prefecture, and had been missing since July 10th, 1984. Kenji had set out on his own hike up Mount Asahidake, but when he failed to appear for work a week later, his parents reported him as missing. Unfortunately, no trace of Kenji was ever found until this discovery, five years later. At first, the cassette tapes seemed to feature nothing more than theme songs of the time's popular anime, but once listening, the authorities made another unbelievable discovery. Kenji recorded a final message over part of one of the tape's original contents, a statement in which he desperately begs for help that will never arrive. Even though the message was recorded in Japanese, the man's panic and desperation transcends any language barrier. The original clip is said to be over two minutes long, but the part of the message that translates to, I'm on a cliff and can't move. SOS, help me. I'm at the spot where I first saw the helicopter. The bamboo grass is too deep and I can't go anywhere. Please lift me from here. Now considering the message specifically said SOS, you may presume he was the one to create the sign and maybe he was, but this theory has several problems. First, however, we'll get through the official story and then we'll break down all of the discrepancies at the end. Before we move on though, I will play a quick snippet of the part that I just translated for you so you can hear the actual desperation yourself in the voice. 
As for the human remains, the skull seemed to fit with the bones found earlier in the day, and everything was transferred to Asahikawa Medical University for examination. Honestly, this was just protocol at that point. The apparent conclusion is that the remains belonged to Kenji, and again, maybe they do, but initially medical reports determined it would be a woman between the age of 20 to 40 years old with type O blood. These findings would only be corrected when this incident began to attract the wrong kind of attention. In the days it took to reach this conclusion, the world fell in love with the story. Everyone followed it closely, hanging on to every detail. The sheer ingenuity behind the sign was impressive enough. I mean, experts estimated it would take at least two days and considerably more effort than a weak, possibly starving man would have. But that's one of the things we'll come back to. Authorities were able to confirm Kenji owned specific items in the backpack, such as the anime cassette tapes and that he wore the same size shoes as the ones found in the hall. It's understandable how one would conclude that these remains belonged to Kenji, but when those results came back and suddenly it was much more difficult to accept that this was a neatly closed case. Investigators wanted to believe there were two men and a woman involved, but there was no record of a missing female and Kenji was known to be alone when he ventured up the mountain. Plus, if he had met someone along the way, doesn't it seem likely he would have indicated others were also in need of rescue when he was recording the request to be airlifted off the cliff? Many were beginning to feel that Kenji's mention of the SOS was more likely to be a coincidence. We'll probably never know for sure, but these questions led to a great confusion in the investigation and the media coverage. The more Japanese officials insisted the case was solved, the more backlash they would initially receive. Now we're going to move on to some more conspiracy-filled theories, since all the information we actually have is kind of dried up at this point. To the world's great surprise, on February 28, 1990, the Asahikawa East Police Station announced a complete re-examination of the remains had been performed and new findings concluded they belonged to a male with type A blood, or in other words, Kenji. Make of that what you will. It feels a bit, um, suspicious to me. The Japanese aren't exactly known for being open and honest with their investigations, but it's only fair to hear both sides. And a Reed Cash article does report that mistakes on such a grand scale can happen often enough in medical universities. At the very least, it's not impossible, you know? So let's take a closer look at the sign itself instead. Today, this story is considered one of the more excellent internet mystery classics. And the ingenuity behind the sign is one of the main reasons that people are so obsessed with this. When it was constructed, the only thing we can say for certain is that the Japan Forest Agency and the Japan Geographical Authority checked previous aerial photos taken in September 1987. They could confirm the sign was already there. They also studied records from 1982, but these photographs lacked the enormous SOS signal. Experts estimated it was likely at least two days and significantly more energy than a weak, possibly starving man would even possess. Each of the 19 logs seemed to have been cut with an axe, yet no axe or any such cutting tool has ever been recovered from the site. Does that mean one doesn't exist? No, of course not. But the area has been thoroughly searched on multiple occasions. Oddly, it would be the only item to remain lost. 
Plus, don't forget how big the logs themselves were. 16 feet long and 10 feet wide sections of birch tree must weigh several hundred pounds, maybe closer to a thousand if you want to be realistic. I find it challenging to believe Kenji would be able to drag such sections of wood into the clearing, especially when the autopsy report specifically described him as very frail. It would have been quite literally impossible for him to do alone. As for why Kenji would specifically mention SOS in the recording, one interesting observation made by anime fans is that Usamu Tezuka's Astro Boy features a famous scene in which fallen trees are arranged into the shape of an SOS, or perhaps, unlike the two missing hikers, Kenji had previously seen the enormous sign, and it was simply on his mind. Either way, it's widely accepted that he recorded these messages intending to play them back for rescuers should he be discovered after becoming too debilitated to speak. Now, assumably, batteries would last longer than your own lung capacity. Those who disagree with this theory do believe the tape recorder was switched on by accident while the man was screaming for help. But I disagree. His message was exact, as it's giving somebody a specific instruction. It's not mindless cries for help. Of course, some question whether the man in the recording is Kenji or not as well. When his parents heard the recording, they could not confirm it was their son's voice. Is it because it wasn't their son? Or is it because grieving parents have a hard time accepting the loss of a child? It's also worth noting that the sound quality of the cassette tape isn't exactly what we're used to hearing today. While yes, the cassettes were in pretty good condition and played rather fine, there's only so much a cassette recorder can do for a desperate, panicked man trying to record what he knows may be his last message. Furthermore, according to Kenji, he was trapped atop a cliff, needing to be airlifted out, but yet his bones were discovered out in the open. It's speculated he eventually reached a point where he simply wanted to descend the mountain any way possible, but when he climbed down to this last cliffside, he could not proceed any further or turn back. However, this argument is often met with the fact that Kenji could have easily changed his mind after recording the message. Eventually, he would have accepted the helicopter wasn't returning, and at that point he may have become desperate enough to continue his descent. Though this leaves us with even more questions. Would he have had enough energy to undertake such a task in constructing that sign? Primarily, if the climb down was responsible for his fractured bones, one fracture was found on a leg bone and the other was in his upper body. With all that said, that's still not the end of it. What about Mother Nature herself? We know this sign already existed in September of 1987, but how long can something like that sit out in the open elements without suffering overgrowth? How can it endure the extreme mountain weather conditions of heavy snow and rain yet still be perfectly visible for such an extended period? Investigators only stated that the logs looked too old and were partially submerged in mud. Is it more likely that someone constructed the sign after Kenji's death but before the two missing hikers in 1989? Because there are still plenty who believe Kenji is still responsible despite these contradictions. And unfortunately with that, there's not too much more I can cover without kind of running in circles and just covering theories that kind of are based off other theories and, you know, I don't want to waste our time. So with that, what do you guys think is going on here? Maybe it's not the pretty staggering evidence that it seems to be at first glance. What do you think? Did Kenji make the sign? Or did someone come along after him? Did bones belonging to... Did the bones actually belong to a missing woman? Or are they actually Kenji's? Were Kenji's bones never found? Could those body parts be less of a match than we thought? 
Did the medical university receive two different results based on which bone was tested? Let's hope the mistakes weren't taken that far, right? Seriously, this was actually a very fascinating case to research, and I highly recommend viewing the articles for yourself if you want to learn more. But first, you have to let me know what you think in the comments. Shrek will be angry if you don't, of course. We gotta stay safe out here in these swampy streets. While you're at it, be sure to slap that like button, be sure to subscribe if you're new, and turn on notifications as I upload brand new videos nearly every day on cases just like this. Thank you guys, as always, this was definitely one of the more interesting ones. I'm having a lot of fun jumping over into the international waters, and translating things can be a little tough, but hopefully we're doing a good job over here and you're enjoying them. I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.